Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. I want to ask you this question before we get into the Word of God, and that's this. Maybe you can relate with me about this, but have you ever had a friend or a family member or someone in your life that is trapped in some kind of sin or has some sort of sin habit, you're watching it bring destruction to their life, and you just want to help? Have you ever felt that before? Have you ever wondered, like, do I say anything? Do I leave this alone? Is it my responsibility to say anything? And I think this is a really interesting question that Paul speaks to us about in Galatians chapter 6. Now, before we read, I want to have us do something. We did this last week. Pastor Pradeepa and I visited a church, and there was a pastor who read the scripture this way with his congregation, and we really liked it. So it's like fill in the blank reading the scripture, all right? So when I pause, you guys are going to say the word. Okay, follow? Got it? Okay, let's look at Galatians 6 verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another is coming, is overcome by some sin, who are godly should and humbly that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling, you are only yourself. Yes, I'm sorry, I just lost my place. Thank you for saying that. Yourself, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Tell us how you really feel, Paul, right? Verse four, pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to yourself to anyone else. Isn't this interesting? We see that Paul actually tells us in Galatians that we have a responsibility to help other believers overcome sin in their life. And he very quickly says there is a good way to do this and a bad way to do this, right? And I think that our reputation as Christians, unfortunately, has been a little bit more of the bad way to do this. But I want to get into this this morning because I believe that there are things that God wants to reveal to us about how we can step into helping people overcome their sin, right? About 10 years ago, I met my very good friend, Linda Von Schell, who is sitting right over here. She's on our lead team. And Linda, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, gave her life to Jesus at the ministry that Pastor Pradeepan and I were leading in Michigan at the time. And she was a new Christian. She was being discipled. She was just learning about the Christian faith for the first time. And one day she was at my house and her and I just kind of hit it off. We were good friends. And she was at my house. We were sitting at the kitchen table and she says, she's telling me a story or telling me about her life or something. And all of a sudden she gets choked up and she's about to start crying. And she goes, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. And I was like, just cry. It's okay. You know, and she was like, no, I never cry in front of anyone. I don't want anyone to see me cry. I will not cry in front of people. 
And I think in this moment that Linda thought I would say something compassionate, something comforting, you know, to her. But I looked at her and I said, do you know that that's pride? That's pride. You don't have to save face around me. You don't have to pretend or feel like uh, crying is weakness or letting down your guard is a bad thing. In fact, I think whatever is making you cry in this moment, God really cares about. And this is a safe place and you don't have to wall up and you don't have to pretend or feel like you have to have it all together all the time, you know? And so to this day, whatever uh, Linda is about to cry, she looks at me and she's like, before you call me out on my pride issues, I'm about to cry, right? And so it's hard. I think that we struggle to know how to have these conversations with people who we see are having destructive patterns in their life. It's hard to know how to engage in that conversation. And yet Paul says, this is something that we should do. We can help people get back on the right path. Now, I think there are some unhealthy ways to approach this, okay? The first unhealthy way is that we avoid it. Where are my avoiders at right now? Raise your hand. You know, you don't like conflict. You don't like when somebody talks to you about stuff. You're not gonna go talk to somebody else about stuff. You know, so we avoid it. This is not my problem. Yes, they're falling apart because of the sin of their, their lives, but I am not, that's not my business. I'm gonna mind my own business, right? We avoid it. We convince ourselves we have nothing to do with that. And so we watch people that we care about just live in destructive patterns in their lives, right? The other unhealthy way is that we do the total opposite of that. And we believe that God has called us to be the righteousness police, right? And so we go to people and we say things in really bad ways and we engage in really bad ways and we really come across as self-righteous or judgmental or just mean, like you're a Christian, you know? Maybe, you, maybe you're sitting here and you have hurt because someone came to you about a sin in your life and they did it really badly, right? And we can come across as being hypocritical. There's other ways that we can do this in unhealthy ways. And the last unhealthy way is uh, something I think we can all relate to, and that is that we hide behind social media, right? I have a meme for you today, a couple of them. This is what you look like when you call someone out on Facebook, but don't say what, who it's about. Who it's about, right? Next one. I'm going to leave special quotes and sayings on Facebook instead of confronting my friends about problems. That is so much cooler, right? Let's go to the next one. So you enjoy putting people on blast on Facebook using your status updates instead of confronting them in real life? No, don't worry. That sounds completely mature. Right? So we hide behind social media. We do these things because we don't really know how to engage in a conversation where we're, where we're really confronting someone about the sin in their life, right? And so this morning I want to look at what Paul says in this scripture because I think Paul has better language for this and a posture of our heart for us to go into these conversations with. What does he say? What does he say? He says, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. When you think about having these conversations with people and you're like, you know what? I want to help lift and carry this person's burden. Do you know that the Greek word a burden in this uh, scripture translate, translates to a word, word called tabara and it actually means a load that cannot be carried by oneself. Have you ever carried a sin or a suffering or something in your life and you are like, this is too much? 
I need someone to help carry this load with me. And here, this is what Paul calls us to do. Help each other, carry one another's burdens. Now, I want to define the word sin for us this morning, because sin is a word that we kind of throw around in Christianity. Some people think some things are a sin. Some people think other things are a sin. And when he talks about sin, when we talk about sin today, I want to make sure that we're talking about the biblical way to think about sin in the scripture, okay? So sin uh, in the Greek is actually a Greek word called, called kata. Everybody say kata. Kata. And it actually means to fail or miss the mark. That's what sin is. The Bible Project puts a little bit more words to it that I really like. It says this. Sin is failure to be humans who fully love God and others made in God's image. It's our inability to judge whether we are succeeding or failing by our own self-deception. For example, remember when Pharaoh was trying to build his economy, what did he do? He enslaved a bunch of Israelite people thinking it was a good thing. We have deception in our lives, right? Let's go on. It's a deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior for our own benefit at the expense of others and leads to relational breakdown. We all struggle with sin. We all have struggled with sin that leads to some sort of relational breakdown, right? We all struggle with this. We all know people who are struggling with this. We're all in this together when it comes to sin. And so today, I want to answer this question. How do people of God confront each other on sin? How do people of God confront each other on sin? What do the scriptures have to say about this subject? Well, I have for you three C's today to help you remember. The first C is check your motives. Second C is commit long term. And the third C is to carry people to Jesus. So the first one today is check your motives. I remember back in 2020 getting into a Facebook fight with someone on Facebook. Did anyone else in 2020 get in a Facebook fight? I can't be the only one here who got in social media arguments in 2020. Do you remember masks, all the things, social distancing? It was just a lot, right? And so I get on this, uh, I get on Facebook, and I notice a woman from my old church back in Kansas who I'm not in current relationship with, and she posted something that just aggravated me. Okay, and so I decided to show her a different perspective. Okay, and so I decided to comment on her Facebook post that I didn't like, and I said something that was a little jabby, a little sassy. Okay, and uh, she read it, and then she came back with a little bit more sassier, a little bit more jabbier, a little bit more offensive, and I was filled with rage filled with rage. Then at one point, I wrote on this woman's Facebook, you are a racist. <laughs> that is not the place, friends. This is not the place. And I mean, her friends on Facebook went to her bat for her, right? And whether she was or wasn't racist, whether she was promoting something that was sin or not sin, I was not in the mindset of carrying a burden with someone. I was in attack mode right? I was in attack mode. This is not a person that I'm in current relationship with. Facebook is not the place to help someone see a different perspective, right? And if I'm honest, I think I just kind of was trying to be an advocate. I think I just kind of wanted people to see that I was on the right side or something, right? And so we have to 
check our motives because we're not always confronting people. We shouldn't be confronting people with other motives than what the scripture says here in Galatians. It says, if another believer is overcome by some sin. Well, okay, this woman was a believer. So I think we have to recognize that Paul is saying, you know what? Helping people overcome their sin starts right here in this room. It starts in the body of Christ. It starts with the person maybe that is sitting next to you, right? And this is not easy, but we are the body of Christ and we need each other to help each other carry our burdens. Even if they're sin, we need someone to call us out and help us to be able to overcome our sin issues, right? And Paul says, you should do this gently and humbly to help that person onto the right path. Well, I was not very gentle or humble when I had this conversation with this woman. Can I be honest with you about what I really did? What I really did was just cause more division. That's really what I did. That's really, that was really the outcome of what happened in this Facebook interaction, right? And again, whether she was promoting something I would never promote or I don't think she should be promoting or not, that's not the point when it comes to engaging with people about their sin. What was my motivation? Well, when I really thought about it, my motivation was to be right and win a fight, right? I think we get caught up in this culture of being right and of being always about winning, right? I am right and you are wrong, I win, you know? And there's just this culture, I think, that promotes that. But very rarely, when we operate like that, do we come to restorative places with people, right? Or an understanding, or an agreement, or a place where we lift each other up in helpful, life-giving ways. I remember early on in my marriage, Pastor Pradeepan and I, we didn't know how to fight yet, okay? Like, you know what I'm talking about when you're early married? We know how to fight better now. But earlier, when we were first married, we didn't know how to fight. And believe it or not, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, we're both incredibly argumentative people, okay? And so we're just going at it, back and forth. I mean, we are collecting data and stats to make our point. You know, we completely have forgotten what we're fighting about. And finally, we get to this point where I look at him and I say, fine, you win, right? And Pradeepan looks at me and he's like, honey, this isn't about winning. We're on the same team, you know? I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a loser answer if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> but he's right. He's right. Being right and being righteous are not the same thing. Being right and being righteous are not the same thing. And I think we confuse this a lot. We can be right and be unrighteous as we approach people in their sin and in the difficulties in their life. Do you remember the story in John chapter 8 where there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery? Do you remember this story? I want to read it actually because it's so powerful. John 8, 3, it says this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. 
Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This woman was completely humiliated and thrown in the middle of a group of men in front of Jesus and treated like dirt, treated as if she had no dignity. Yes, she was in sin, but she was just humiliated. I can't even imagine being this woman who was caught, by the way, in the act of adultery. And these men pulled her away and threw her in the middle of this circle and this situation And they were saying, Jesus, this is what the law says. We need to stone her. You realize these men were more concerned about being right than this woman's humanity. These men, their motivation was to say, the law says this, Jesus, this is what we must do. But if we're honest, the scripture actually said there is a deeper motivation that these guys were dealing with. The deeper motivation was that they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to find something to accuse him. They didn't like him. They wanted out of there. They had ulterior motives. This wasn't about justice. This wasn't about sin. This was about throwing stones and fulfilling the law. They wanted to be right. And they wanted to trap Jesus. And their motives were all wrong. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, he looks at them and he says, listen, if you've never sinned before, go ahead. Throw a stone at her. And the Bible says, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And I think it's interesting that they talk about, that he says the oldest to the youngest, because I think the older we get, the more we realize, I've made some major mistakes in my life. And the same compassion and the same grace that I need in my life is what I should be offering this woman right now. Jesus had them look at their own hearts. He basically said, pull the plank out of your own eye before you pull the one out of hers, right? He has us do this. In our attempts at helping someone overcome sin, our motives can be all wrong. So we have to start there. What is your motive? Our motives can be about the need to be right, and our motives can be about comparing ourselves with someone else. Look at verse 4. Pay careful attention to your own work, Paul says, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Did you know that psychologists actually talk about this ability to self-examine yourself or to have some self-knowledge? This is like a thing that we should constantly be doing. And the truth is this. We tend to hate the things about other people we hate most about ourselves. Is that true in your life? Right? A professor of psychology at University of Alberta conducted a study in which Participants were told they possess a negative trait, okay? When they were told they had this negative trait, they were more likely to notice that trait in other people, and and the more they noticed it in other people, the less they thought it was true of themselves. Okay, this has been real in my life. When I first got married, well, for, let me just tell you this. I come from a big family that's really loud, and we talk over each other, and we interrupt each other, and if you got something to say, you just got to get in there, okay? You got to sit back and wait your turn. You got to get in there. And so I get married to Pradeepin, and we're going back and forth in our marriage or in arguments or whatever, and Pradeepin finally just says, Amrita, will you stop interrupting me? 
can I finish my sentence? And I'm like, bro, you just gotta get in there, you know? And he's like, no, this is not a good way to fight, okay? And so I'm like, okay, okay, that, that's probably good. We should, pro in our fights, we should probably implement the no interrupting rule. Anybody else had to do that? Don't raise your hand, because you're sitting beside that person. And so I, I, I begin to think about like not interrupting my husband, and then I start to notice, in all the other interactions with other people at work or wherever, I'm like, that person interrupted when uh, that person was talking. That person interrupted their spouse. Well, that person, these people interrupt way more than I interrupt, you know? And I start diminishing my issue of interruption and elevating theirs until I no longer think that this is a negative trait of mine. This is what happens, right? So we have to be careful. C.S. Lewis says this, it is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone, right? So we have to check our motives. It's not about winning. It's not about being right. And we have to make sure that we're not just comparing ourselves. No, I want to be honest and I want to give you a story of how these conversations can end up but how you can still do them right. The fact is, is you're not going to be able to go into these conversations knowing the outcome, right? But we can be prayerful about them and we can have them very, very well. Pastor Pradeepan and I, before we started Kalos Church with our team, we, before we ever had a service on a Sunday morning, we started what's called a launch team. And that team was going to help us launch our church, right? And on this launch team, we had a couple who helped us, like, just helped us so much, worked so hard with us to make sure that we launched this church well. Well, sure enough, it came to the time in our launch team where we began to assign roles to people to step into different roles to serve the church when we start our services. Are you following? Well, this guy, unfortunately, really wanted to be in a role that he didn't get. And he was really upset about this. And he started comparing himself. And he started to notice that other people were getting the roles they wanted. Why wasn't I? And something started to fester inside of him, right? So comparison started messing with him a little bit. And sure enough, we started to notice that some attitudes were changing. We started to notice that there was some negativity happening among our launch team. We started to notice that there was toxicity in our team. We had church plant coaches at the time. We said, what do we do? What do we say? We haven't even launched our church yet. And our church plant coaches said, you guys need to confront. You need to, in love, go talk to this couple because you do not want to start your church with this kind of toxicity in your group in your launch team. So we go and we sit down with them and I'm gonna be honest, we checked our motives. What were our motives? Our motives were to talk to this person in love, find out what's going on with him, just try to see if we can find some peace and restoration here. Our motive was to launch a church well with a healthy group of people, right? Those were our motives. So we have this conversation with them and it seems like it's going pretty well and I don't know about you but have you ever walked away from a conversation that you thought went really well and you come to find out later it didn't go so well? Right? And so sure enough, the night before we launch our church, the first ever service in downtown Bellevue in our comedy club, this couple texts us and says, I'm sorry, but we no longer want to be a part of Caleb's church. They had been a part of our launch team for months, and they never once went to one service. And I want to be honest with you, sometimes these conversations, even if you do them perfectly, we don't know what the outcome is, and we have to trust God. But comparison can mess with us. Our motives to just try to win or have to be right can mess with us. And so it's important that we are careful not to compare ourselves, not to just want to be right when we go in and have these conversations. Amen?
Number two is this. Commit to the process. Commit to the process. Galatians 6, 8 says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Many of you know people. I don't know, maybe even right now, you feel the Spirit of God stirring in you, and you have a family member, maybe a parent, maybe a son or a daughter, maybe you have a longtime friend, somebody in your life whose sin is wrecking their world and you want to step in and you want to talk to them about this, but if you're anything like me, you don't want to offend them and you might be scared because you're like, I I don't want to ruin this relationship, right? And Paul begins to teach us how to do this in a way that is positive. And, and, and I want to talk to you a little bit about some hope that we can have as we step into having these conversations, okay? When someone makes a stake, when there's a sin, it really feels like there needs to be some sort of justice, right? Well, Pastor Friedman and I were talking about the difference between punitive justice and restorative justice. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to tell you the difference in a couple of, exa- of examples between these two things. Punitive justice says this. Do you guys remember Aladdin in the Disney movie Aladdin? Remember? Okay. So Aladdin is still steals a piece of bread from the market, right? Well, the, the punishment for stealing that bread was to cut off his arm. I mean, he didn't get caught, so like, that's not in the movie. But that is the punishment, right? That's a punitive justice. It's like, uh, it's like in order to prevent a crime, we have to punish the crime, and that's it, right? Restorative justice says, you had to steal food? Let me show you how to grow food so you're not hungry, and you don't have to steal food, right? It's like... Morgan Gerstenberger has this whole business about growing food and helping people. SeattleKitchens.com, go check it out. <laughs> growing food. So, so it's a little bit different, restorative justice. Punitive justice says that a criminal should be ch- punished equally for the offense of the crime to prevent crime, more crime. Restorative justice says, let me help you rehabilitate. Let me help you become a whole person again so that you can be a positive attribute to society again, Right? Punitive justice is when I spank my daughter out of anger to put some fear in her so she never does that thing again, right? Restorative justice says, I'm going to take some time with my daughter. I'm going to teach her what she did wrong, and I'm going to help her become an image bearer of Christ. Do you see the difference? When we come into these conversations where we help people overcome their sin and help them go on the right path, when we go into it with restoration in our hearts, we can do this well. We can do this lovingly. When we come into it uh, in a way that like Romans 8.28 says, we can help people be shaped and formed into the image of Christ. That's when we can do this well. So as you're thinking about that person who is stuck in sin and you need to have a conversation with them, go into it with a heart of restoration. I believe that God wants us to help people reimagine their life with Christ, to reconcile, to find healing and wholeness in their life. You see, the Pharisees in the scripture with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, all they cared about was punitive justice. The law says to kill this woman by stoning her. But what does Jesus do? Jesus was way more interested in her heart. He was way more interested in her future without sin. 
Pastor Preven said, Jesus doesn't care about our past with sin, but our future without sin, right? That's what he cared about with this woman. And I believe that we are called to help people come out of their sin, but if we are going to do this, we cannot call them out and then peace out. We have to commit to the process, right? The invitation to carry each other's burdens means we participate in another person's pain and suffering. And I don't know about you, but most of us try to avoid our own pain and suffering, let alone step into someone else's, right? Well, I want to tell you, if you're going to go and have this conversation with this person about sin in their life, guess what? You've just joined their team to overcome it, right? We're going to walk alongside people as we do it. We're going to step into their suffering. Last week, I went paddleboarding for the very first time. And it was a blast. But there was a part that was not a blast. And that was when we have to air up the paddleboards. Okay? And we have this like really ridiculous like air presser contraption that you have to do manually. I have one here. I think someone is going to bring it to me. If not, that's okay. Uh, we have this contraption. You guys know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's right there. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Linda. You ever seen one of these bad boys? Okay. You ever seen one of these? All right. So we're trying to pump up these paddle boards, right? You can see how miserable this is already. Okay. And we're just doing this until we pump it up. And it's just miserable. And so when one of us got tired, the other one stepped into the pain and the suffering and the sweat of this because somehow this was going to be worth it. And what was supposed to take 10 minutes took 30 minutes of pain and suffering, you know? But we stepped into each other's pain and suffering. And you know what? Once we got on that water, we just glided. It was worth it. You know? And so God is calling us to walk with people in this process, to help them overcome their sin and set them on the right path. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Amen. Number three is this. We want to carry them to Jesus. We want to carry them to Jesus. You know, I, I had a friend who also just really committed to me. When I was in sin for about three or four years, I dated a guy that was bad news. And I just kept going back to this guy. We kept breaking up, going back to this guy. It was over. And I mean, I'm telling you what, I would just like get crushed and my heart was broken. And then I would go to my best friend and my best friend would be like, Amritha, like, hey, like this guy's a narcissist. He's not like kind to you. Like you shouldn't go back. She was gentle and she was humble, you know, and you know what I did? I'd go right back to that guy. I don't know why. I was in a really bad trap cycle in my life, right? I'd go right back to that guy and I would come back to my best friend. And you know what my best friend would do? She would have a glass of water and a box of Kleenexes ready for me. And she, would, she never said, she never said, hey, if you go back, don't come crying to me. Instead, she would say, hey, I think this is destructive for your life, but I'm here. I'll walk with you through this until I finally got rid of this guy. She carried me to Jesus. She carried me for three or four years when I made the same mistake over and over. Do you have the patience? Do we have the faithfulness to walk with someone, to overcome their sin and carry them to Jesus, right? Jesus, or Paul didn't say to take them humbly and help them back onto uh, the path of what we think is right, to our own ideologies, carry them to your own, carry them to your political party. Remember that for next year, right? He said, carry them and put them on the right path, which is Jesus Christ. We all have been there. We have all needed someone to carry the burden with us. And now he's calling us to carry the burden with others. 
And so I want to give you, before we end today in a little bit, I want to give you a few questions that I want to help you be able to decide and navigate. Do I talk to this person? How do I know if I'm the one that should step into this issue of sin in their life? Well, here's a couple of questions that may help you. The first one is this. Has trust been built in this relationship? You, you need to have trust in your relationship before you go into that conversation. Is the Holy Spirit nudging you to talk to this person about their sin? Please don't do this without doing it prayerfully. Make sure the Holy Spirit is in you and working through you and in this conversation. The next one is, can you do it gently and humbly? Listen, if you're just angry like I was to that woman on Facebook, you should not do this. Make sure that you can do it gently and humbly. The next question is, have you earned the right to speak into this person's life in this way? In this way of confronting them about their sin? The next one is, are you reflective of your own sin in your own life? When's the last time you did that, right? Because when you're reflective about your own sin, you will go with the compassion that you also need and the grace that you also need. And the last one here is, are you willing to see the person to the other side? Are you willing to walk with them through the other side, right? Carrying one another's burdens, you guys, should be beautiful. Talking to people about their sin as Christians should be beautiful. Our church, Kalos Church, means beautiful. If you don't know that, in Greek, it means beautiful. And all of July, I spent some time reading some books about the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of Christianity, right? And there's some ugly ways that we have done things, but there are beautiful ways because Jesus is beautiful. And I read this quote that I've been chewing on for a while by Brian Zahn, and it says this, we are attempting to look at Christianity through a new lens, the lens of beauty, and we are trying to ask some new questions. When considering Christian faith and practice, we are used to asking, is it true? But we also need to ask the question, is it beautiful? Is it beautiful? These conversations helping people overcome their sin, they shouldn't be judgmental or arrogant or mean. They should be beautiful. These conversations should bring life. These conversations from us should have a heart of restoration, right? I believe that there are a lot of people in our community, a lot of people in our community who are struggling with heavy burdens that they cannot carry on their own. You know how I know? Because as Kalos Church, we have almost run out of space several times this last summer. And in the fall, we are going to launch a third service. Let me tell you why. Because we keep having people who have major heartache in their life coming through our doors. We keep having people who have completely messed up their life come through our doors. We keep having people who need someone to lift the burden with them come through our doors. And if I'm honest with you, we needed this third service back in March when we moved into this building. But we decided to take it a little bit slow because we wanted to take care of our volunteer team. We needed to take a breath after moving into this building. This used to be a construction zone, okay? And it took a lot to get in here. So we wanted to make sure that we took care of our team and our volunteers. And we prayed and we began to realize that we need to add a third service, but let's do it in the fall. And so this fall, church, we are going to add a third service. We're going to bump up all of our service times. We'll share those with you later. And we're going to add a third service to make room for more people who are struggling with burdens and need help. Are you with me? I believe 
that Jesus wants us to follow with him and follow in step with him to make known the beauty of Jesus, to carry one another's burdens. And as I've, as I've been thinking about this third service, you guys, and I've been praying in this fast, this story of the woman who is caught in the act of adultery just keeps coming to my heart. Her burden, her sin, her humiliation, her, her own thoughts, I'm sure, of thinking that she couldn't ever be someone who could be touched by Jesus. I found this picture online. I found this picture. Do you see how Jesus just bends down and he looks at this woman with dignity. He looks at her as though she mattered. He looks at her with value. He sees the burden that she is carrying. And instead of needing to be right like all of those men, he bends down and he helps her. And he says, go and sin no more. And church, I believe that in this third service, this is what Jesus is calling us to do. When I think about serving the people that are about to walk through our doors, I think about this picture. And I want you to imagine yourself being Jesus when you're helping people park a car, when you're helping someone get coffee on a Sunday morning, when you're posting something on social media for the church, when we're doing all of these things, when we're preaching messages, I want us to have the heart and the kindness in our eyes like Jesus has for this beautiful woman. And I believe that God would have us share the beauty of Jesus. And this picture, isn't it beautiful? And I think about this woman when I think about adding this third service. And today we're gonna give you an opportunity to help us because can I be honest, we need all hands on deck for this. So if you're not serving on a Sunday morning team, we're gonna give you an opportunity. I wanna make an invitation to you to serve on a team as we launch this third service so that we can share the beauty of Jesus, so that we can carry the burden of sin and suffering with those around us, amen? I wanna leave you with this quote by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, it says this. To bear the burden of the other person means involvement with the created reality of the other. To accept it and affirm it, and in bearing with it, to break through to the point where we take joy in it. Can we go ahead and bow our head and close our eyes? And I wanna pray over you this morning. Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this word. Lord, we want to take seriously the responsibility that we have to enter into people's suffering and their pain and even their sin. And Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to do this well. You would help us to gently and humbly step into that place. Lord, I'm praying right now for the people who need us to have this conversation with them. I'm praying that the, the people that are stirring in our hearts right now, for those of us that know that there is a family member or a roommate or a friend that needs a loving conversation about the sin that is destroying their lives. Father, I'm asking that the people that we need to talk to, they would have ears to hear. They would have hearts that are open. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people committed not to our own agenda, but to simply carry these people to Jesus. You are the one who truly transforms our lives. 
And so, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your compassion for our own sin. And help us to have that same grace and compassion as we have these conversations with other people that we love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.